This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate, not bad. Finally uh, off for a couple of weeks from work, so enjoying a a well-earned break at long last after about five months without any sort of annual leave, so... Two days down, another 15 to go, so... You yeah, don't do any just, work anyway. No, that's true. Never do anything, me. Just sit on my backside all day, doing bugger all. Well, you do sit on your backside all day. Fair point. That is a fair point. But I, I exercise my fingers by typing all day. Similarly to you, really. Yeah, but I actually go to matches. Yeah, but I don't have that luxury. <laughs> and to be fair, after the way Manchester United started their game against Forest on Saturday, it might be a good thing. Because that yeah, was a bit of a shambles. But anyway, forget about the Premier League. We're here to talk about the best league in the world, and that is the second tier. We certainly are, and uh, it was a great weekend, to be fair. We've got some cracking games to unpick over the next hour. Of course, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed. You can find it on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Hit the 15K mark this week, so thank you to everyone for your support. And as I said on last week's pod, we've had brilliant numbers. Um, early season so thank you for that make sure if you are enjoying it you're subscribed you're following us on twitter as well and go and tell a friend why not let's boost those numbers further uh massive thank you as always as well to our sponsors cards accepted for supporting the podcast this season if you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees visit cardsaccepted.co.uk they provide a discount on the rrp of all sum up devices so make sure you go and check them out and over the next hour we'll be bringing you plenty more analysis and reaction to a busy weekend in the championship this is the championship chat podcast george only one place to start this weekend and that's a seven goal thriller at portman road ipswich town three leeds united four and it felt like the weekend that leeds united really announced themselves in the championship let's be fair along with sunderland biggest club in the championship but they've not really felt like that coming down they've not felt like the juggernaut that they could be given the size of the club, the fan base, etc. And it feels like this week has been a really vital week for them to just settle down a little bit. Obviously, the off-field issues they've had with Willie Nonto and uh, Sinistera, they've been put to bed or certainly put on the back burner for now. Both of them straight back into the starting lineup. both of them on the score sheet. And of course, the big signing, Joel Perot, straight in the starting lineup, straight on the score sheet. In terms of the match itself, obviously, this was... Ipswich Town's first defeat since January. Um, and as I say, the big story's rolling back <laughs> with Nonto, Sinistera, Pirro all on the score sheet. And I watched them in full against West Brom last Friday night. I just thought they lacked a bit of quality in the final third, a little bit of potency. They were, they were energetic, they were hardworking, they pressed well, but they didn't have a lot of quality. And then when you chuck in Joel Perot, no one has scored more goals since the start of last since the start of two seasons ago, who's currently still playing in the Championship, than Joel Perot. You put Willie Nonto and Sinistera in that team. Suddenly, that is a quality attack. And then the man who scored the best goal of the four, uh, Routier, his first goal after 35 attempts, brilliant turn, rolled Cameron Burgess, sent Wolfenden for a, for a hot dog and a great finish across the goalkeeper. Willie Nonto at the back stick, Joel Perot from close range. And then I really like the fourth goal as well. Really good play from Jamie Shackleton, who had come on as a substitute after <laughs> Cody Drama had come on as, as a substitute and then got substituted off 20 minutes later. He did not have a 20 minutes to remember. But Shackleton, I thought he did really well out sort of out of position last Friday. He started on the right of their attack, which not his best position. I think as a fullback, is somewhere where he could really make a career for himself. He's not probably quite big enough to play in central midfield, which is where he's also played. But came on at left-back, really good driving run, lovely splitting ball, and that sort of pace, that sort of quality and with the finish in the final third. It's what Leeds United haven't had for the last four weeks. When you put players of that quality in the team, it's going to make a huge difference. And against a very good Ipswich side, it did. They looked like a Premier League side with that injection of quality. Joel Pro's an excellent signing. I can see him slotting really nicely in that front four, probably playing as the number 10 in the 4-2-3-1. We've seen him play 
in his first season at Swansea a bit more as a number nine. Then he starts to drop a bit deeper in his second season, still scored just as many goals. So I think Farker's going to enjoy that tactical flexibility whether he wants to play him as the number nine, the focal point, and he's got the quality to bring players into play. You know, he's quite stocky as well, so he can hold the ball up. And he's going to have quick runners that are lightning beyond him as well. Or he can play as the number 10 where he can come and link play and, and probably enjoy the ball a little bit more. So really good signing, a statement signing for Leeds United. They've got the two big guns back in the team as well on either flank. And this was a statement victory. And, and really, for me, it felt like Leeds United were announcing themselves back in the championship. Perfect week. I think that's the best way to sum it up. It was, it was the perfect week, let's be honest. It obviously all started on Thursday evening with that with that signing of Joel Perrault, which we both said at the time, superb addition, elevates that team massively, the front line. Because though Patrick Bamford obviously has been at Leeds for quite a few years and he's, he's chipped in with goals now and again, they've, they've lacked that real sort of top-end championship striker for a while in terms of when they've been at this level. So, Joel Perrault... His numbers speak for themselves. After that goal on Saturday, it's 50 goal contributions in 92 championship appearances in his career. It's unbelievable numbers. 42 goals, 8 assists. It's absolutely superb. thought he'd but, have more assists than that, weirdly. Yeah, it is strange. And he actually only got two last season, which is strange. You, you would have thought it would be more. He got six in his first year at Swansea. But when you look at that attack that lined up against Ipswich on Saturday, Nonto, um, Piro, Ruta... Uh, Sinister, it was just, you looked at that front four and you just looked at it and you thought, wow, th- this is a championship attack. This is frightening. And if Daniel Farker, and we're talking about this five or six days before the transfer window shuts, it shuts on Friday evening, we're recording on Sunday evening. If Leeds can keep these players, which at the minute, after all what's gone off with Nonto and Sinister, the, particularly the Nonto situation that's been ongoing for the last few weeks, you would think now he's going to stay. If Leeds can keep this together, is it the best attack in the division? I would say yes. On its day, it is the best attack by a long way. Nonto, we saw... So now that Nathan Teller's gone as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonto. He's gone, obviously gone to Bayer Leverkusen. I think that's been confirmed today. But Nonto, the fact that obviously we saw the quality that he brought to the table in the Premier League last season with some ridiculous goals, some lovely skill. He's going to be an absolute monster at this level in the Championship. And that was that was apparent on, on Saturday. And it just clicked for Daniel Farker and... Obviously, we've spoken there about the signings and that front four, but in terms of the result and the performance of Leeds United on Saturday, that's a big statement victory. They've had a statement signing on Thursday and then a statement victory 48 hours later on the Saturday. It was which obviously have been on that unbelievable unbeaten run dating back to the 21st of January when they lost 2-1 to Oxford in League One, at which point their automatic promotion hopes were, were dangling by a thread. They, they'd lost ground on Sheffield Wednesday and Plymouth at the time. Then obviously put that unbelievable run together. But as I said on the podcast last week when they'd beaten QPR, though the the victory at QPR was one of great grit and determination, it wasn't their best performance. I still fancied them to beat Leeds because of the momentum that they got. But at the same time, I did point out that it had to end at some point. It had got all good runs come to an end at some stage. And for Ipswich, it obviously has, which, which would be disappointing for them. You want to keep it going as long as possible. But in a way, it could be a good thing for Ipswich. We'll now learn a little bit about them, how they're going to respond. Let's see, it's easy to forget. They've taken nine points out of 12 as a newly promoted team. They've had an unbelievable start. And they've had a quite a, you know, not the easiest batch of fixtures, shall we say. They've had some interesting, difficult tests in there. So certainly in terms of different spectrums of the scale with QPR, obviously, they were favourites to win, but you've got to rise to the challenge. Sunderland away was never going to be easy, but they beat them. Then Leeds, obviously, one of the favourites promotion. And... They still scored, th- still scored three, so they'll take a little bit of comfort from that. But like I say, their unbeaten run has to come to an end at some point, and it obviously has. We'll see how they respond. But for Leeds and for Daniel Falk, after a bit of a sluggish start, though there were signs against West Brom that they were slowly sort of warming up and getting, getting acclimatised with the division again, the fact that he was able to deploy that front four, got Joel Perot through the door, it's a big step forward for Daniel Falk. It's a big weight off his shoulders to have got that first league win. They still need more bodies. There's no doubt about that. There's there's talk of quite a few more potentially coming in before the deadline and there's no doubt that Leeds won't do anything. So I think Leeds have got reason to be optimistic. It is only one game. It's important to stress it is only one victory. But to go to Ipswich and score four, that's quite a statement to send out. And obviously the front guys look very, very impressive. So for Daniel Farker, I mean, he couldn't have dreamt for a better few days really with Perot coming in and then a 4-3 win away from home against a really good side on a long and beaten run. 
So I think it's just a case of let's see what Leeds do in the next few days. And I think once that window slams shut in terms of both ins and outs, Daniel Falker will probably be a relieved man to see the back of it. There was three teams that scored four goals this weekend, George. Another of those was Norwich City, back-to-back weeks for them. Big, big win against Huddersfield. We went big on Norwich last weekend. They they headlined the show for us after a brilliant victory over Millwall. They were just as good at Huddersfield with another four-goal margin victory. Uh, they stepped it up a level, in my opinion. It, there's a, it, obviously, it's an absolute gift, the opening goal for Josh Sargent. Lee Nichols firing his clearance into the heels of Sargent, popped top over him and he, he put it in, although took an, a nasty-looking uh, whack for his troubles. Uh, Dave Wagner saying that that looks like it might be a serious ankle injury, so that's a big concern for them. But, you know, I want to give a little bit of credit to Ashley Barnes as well, because I think it was quite easy to ignore his contribution last week with, you know, Jonathan Rowe getting the headlines and um, Sargent as well. But Barnes playing, he's playing really well as sort of like the foil for these all these athletic runners he's got in and around him. And he scored the penalty, of course, to make it 2-0. But it was instrumental in the third goal as well, with a lovely touch around the corner to release Adam Eder, who crossed it for Johnny Rowe to make it five in five, five in a row, you might say. Um, and good for Adam Eder as well, because if Josh Sargent is going to be out for a little bit of time, he needs a bit. He, he's not really had a run. Adam Eder broke onto the scene two years ago, three years ago, and we've never seen him really click into gear. He's never had that run of games. He's had bad injuries and, and niggles here and there. He's not had a consistent run in the team. And when he has, he's looked quite bright. So I'd be intrigued to see if him and uh, Barnes can set up a good relationship with Sargent, potentially out for a while. He obviously set up the third, as I said, and then a lovely finish towards the end of the match, left-footed, really calm, looked like a player in confidence, which is really good to see. And he should get some minutes. So, really good for Norwich at the moment. They're making light work of their opponents and another four goals. And it's really weird for me because this reminds me a lot of how they started when David Wagner first came in. I think I spoke about it last week when they beat Coventry 4-2 in one of his first games in charge. And they were really good going forward. Scored And then it just died and obviously died a death and fizzled out. And now... We're back with them being free-flowing, scoring goals. They do. They look really, really good. They really do. And you, you look at the league table and it doesn't lie there. They are the highest scorers in the division so far. And I mentioned last week after the Millwall game that they'd got the ability to potentially blow teams away with the way that they were playing, just with such freedom and such such a slickness to, the, to their forward-thinking play. And we saw when they went to Southampton in the second game of the season, though they didn't win that game, they scored four. And you, you kind of looked at it and you thought, if a team's capable of going to Southampton and scoring four, they're going to be capable of doing it to a lot of teams this season. And Norwich have had a really, really impressive start. And Johnny Rowe is, of course, getting all of the headlines. His his story's been unbelievable. And when when this run will stop, it'll be quite a shame, really, because I think a lot of people are enjoying it. It's quite a story, really, considering he'd never scored a single goal in his, um, in his senior career prior to about three and a half weeks ago. But I think for David Wagner... I think he'll be looking at people who are criticising him and criticising the recruitment of the club in the summer and saying, don't doubt us. We've gone out there. We've kind of changed our, our, our style of recruitment where we've gone for sort of older heads, more experienced heads that know the championship in parts. Because let's be honest, we, we looked at what Norwich had done and we mentioned, didn't we, specifically the signings of Ashley Barnes and Shane Duffy. Barnes is 33, Duffy's 31. And we said... Are they going to have the legs and the energy to play week in, week out in this division? But at the same time, we did factor in and point out that Norwich, at the same time, they did desperately need some some wise heads in that team. And it's clearly made an impact. And it's it's brought the best out of sort of their flair players in, in the sense of Gabriel Sara, Rowe. And you look at Jack Stacey at right back. He's had a really good start to life at Norwich. And I thought that was a smart signing, to be fair. You know, at 27 years of age, best is probably yet to come for him. They've added, they've added Adam Forshaw as well during the week, a little bit more experience that midfield. Obviously, his injury problems, it's a bit of a caveat. Let's see if he can stay fit. But I think the fact that they've obviously blown Millwall away last weekend, then beaten Huddersfield this weekend, it's, it's quite clear that Norwich are not to be messed around with at the minute. Obviously, things can change. And I always say, I think it takes probably 10, 15 games before you can get a, an ideal vision of how the league table is going to form because you you often see teams have a blistering start and then they tail off. Let's not forget Norwich. They had, I think it was a six or seven game winning run in about September last year under Dean Smith. Then it all fell apart. So you can't get too carried away. But as things are at the minute, the evidence that we're seeing, Norwich are looking really, really good. And 
Johnny Rowe is obviously capturing all of the headlines, but the likes of Barnes and people like that, they're stepping up. Barnes has got two goals in his last two and assist as well. And yeah, he might be 33, coming up to 34 at the end of October. At the same time, though, you can never discount experience. It's a vital thing in this division. And Ashley Barnes has been there, done it, got the T-shirt. He's played 193 games in the championship in his career. And you, you can never sort of overlook experience. It's such a key trait to have. But I think for David Wagner, I just think it's a case of they've started the season really, really well. They won't go, want to get too carried away. You've got to maintain some sense of the point of the season you're at. We're still very, very early into this. They've got a League Cup tie in the week at Bristol City, which will be another decent test against Championship opposition. And then the final game ahead of the first international break next Saturday will be Rotherham United away, which is another one they'll be looking at and targeting three points from. Though Rotherham, who we'll talk about shortly, can often pose a bit of a challenge on their own patch. So it won't be an easy one for Norwich, but confidence at the moment is clearly sky high. They're scoring goals, they're winning games. And I think, quite honestly, they're, they're surprising quite a few. They're certainly leaving me stunned. I didn't expect them to start like this. And their best league start, I think, since 2002, I think I heard. Yes, that was very well read out by the ITV uh, highlights commentator. You're absolutely correct. Um, Leicester City, they are top of the league. They have won four games out of four. And they beat Rotherham United 2-1 at the New York Stadium. It's Leicester's best start ever start to a league season, in fact. I don't think they've ever won four in a row. Pretty sure that was a stat that I drummed up um, over the weekend. Two strikes from youngster Casey McAteer, who obviously started on the opening day of the season. They've, they've chopped and changed a little bit on that right-hand side in terms of personnel in these opening matches. Uh, McAteer was given a go again this weekend, and he repaid Enzo Moresca's faith with two goals, um, the first of which are a header at the back post after a lovely clipped cross from Kalechi Iannaccio. I have to say, I don't think the defending from Cohen Bramwell on both goals is great, particularly the second one where um, Rotherham have done really well to get themselves back in. Good flicked header from Fred Onyedima back in the team after suspension to make it one all. And you've done really well to contain um, Leicester. My dad actually was at this game. He sort of said that Rotherham were very much good value for a point, but Leicester looked at the most dangerous when they got it in those wide areas with McAteer, with um, Mavidi on the opposite side. And Rotherham just switched off and Bramall lets him inside on his admittedly weaker foot. And it's a great strike into the into the top corner, take nothing away from that. But they're just not quite tight enough. And, and Rotherham will probably feel like, again, they've not quite been on the right side of the result compared to the performance they've they've put in. And it's been a big week for Rotherham, having sold Ben Wiles to Huddersfield. But they've got enough cover there with... Um, Tete with Cafu and with Oli Rathbone. That's a nice midfield tr- trio um, with likes of Lindsay and uh, Adolphin as well in, in cover and on the bench to, for rotation. It's a big week for them in the window because they're, they're not missing that much. The performance has been good, but they keep getting on the wrong side. They're going to need a bit of quality. Can they reinvest that money? It was a seven-figure fee they got for Ben Wiles. Can they put that into a centre-forward? Because I think that is going to be what potentially makes or breaks Rotherham United. But for Leicester, again, we're coming away. I don't think they've been brilliant. I don't think they've blown Rotherham away, but they've got the three points. And if they're doing that before they've really clicked into gear, who knows what they could look like when the window's shut, when the players are bedded in and when they're uh, really well in tune with how Enzo Morisco wants them to play. It's exactly what I said last week, isn't it? It was a carbon copy again. They found a way to get it done and all four of their wins so far have been by a one-goal margin. They've had three 2-1 wins and that 1-0 away win at Huddersfield. They've... Their biggest win this season is that 2-0 win over Burton in the League Cup. That is their biggest margin of victory so far. But like I said with Leicester, when you've got the quality that they've got within their ranks, you're always going to find a way at this level to win games. And that is exactly what they did again at Rotherham on Saturday, who, to be fair, from the reports I've read, the highlights I've seen, were quite unfortunate to get something from that game. And that is a common theme we seem to say about a lot about Rotherham. They do fight to the very end. I'll give them that. For Leicester, though... They're always going to be the big hitters in this league this season and they are nine times out of ten going to win games at this level. That's just the truth. They've got the best squad. They've got the big, the biggest amount of resources. And Enzo Maresca, though his team has not fully clicked into gear yet, he's won five out of five in League and Cup. He, he can't be disappointed with that. Obviously, they've got young players stepping up as well. That's a big thing that we're seeing with Leicester. The goals are coming from different sources. Jamie Vardy's not even on the score sheet yet this season, which 
tells you everything really that goals are coming from all directions. And I just think for Leicester, the fact is that yes, they spent quite a bit of money on Harry Winks, Connor Cody, who of course is out injured now. One or two others, Mavadidi came in. They've not really sort of made any signings, probably with the exception of Winks, that you've looked back and thought, "Wow, what a signing that is for this level." They've they've been quite shrewd really in what they've done. They've not really gone out and bought household attractive big names. And they've obviously retained a lot of Premier League quality in terms of Wilfred Ndidi, Ricardo Pereira. Uh, there's others as well. Vardy, I mean, he's probably still got the potential to play in the Premier League again before he calls time on his career. And like I say, he's not even up and running on the score sheet yet. So I think for Leicester, the fact that they've got these young players chipping in with the goals we saw obviously on Saturday with with McCaster getting a uh, McAteer, should I say, getting a couple of goals. Keenan Dewsbury Hall's been stepping up in recent weeks. It just goes to show that Leicester have got so much quality in abundance. And like I say, they've not even fully clicked yet. Every victory in the Championship so far this season has been by a one-goal margin, three two-ones and a one-one-nil. So I think it's a case of Leicester obviously have taken up residency at the top. The only side with a 100% record this season now. The only one in the EFL who's still got one of those, in fact. But their goal difference is only four, which kind of shows that they're just be in that gritty way but it's what champions do at the end of the day they find a way to win and that's exactly what Leicester are doing and once they do fully click you can guarantee that a few teams will be on the end a bit of a battering somewhere along the line so for Enzo Maresca I mean it's been the perfect start four went out of four you can't ask for any more than that I think the challenge for Leicester now is can they start to impose themselves that little bit more take teams to the cleaners because once they do that I think they're going to be difficult to stop. But they're finding the ways to get the job done. It's narrow victories, but end of the day, whether you win 5-0 or 1-0, three points is three points, and that's exactly what they're doing. West Brom beat Middlesbrough 4-2, George. Did you know nobody has taken more points at home in the Championship since Carlos Corbran took over at the end of October last year? Of course, him and Carrick came in at pretty much the same time because we enjoyed tracking their progress and their rise up the league. Sort of like if you spoke about Middlesbrough, we had to speak about West Brom for a fair period of last year. Well, one team started much better than the other this year, and that's um, that's West Brom because Middlesbrough, I mean, they weren't great defensively last year, were they? But they could blow teams away. They could outscore teams with the quality they got, particularly in those Premier League low knees. But they seem to have got worse defensively. They, some of the defending for the, the, the second goal that Jonathan Swift scores. It's an unbelievable finish, don't get me wrong. But the way it's just statuesque defending, first from Tommy Smith to Lim's side, Dale Fry barely sticks out a leg. That's really, really poor. And he fires it into the top corner. It's a great finish, but it's really poor to let him get into that situation. And then obviously the third goal, you work really hard, you get yourself back in. Latty Left scores his first goal for the club. Good header from a cross. You get That's yourself a back in. name, by the way. It is a great name. Superb name. You get yourself back in, you're 2-1. And one of the other new signings, Lucas Engel, not quite as good a name. Her- horrific back pass. Like, I'm not going to hammer him for that because like they've all done it, but it's just it's just sim- symptomatic of how Middlesbrough defended at the start of this season. Tap in for Brandon Thomas Asante. And at 3-1, never really fancied Middlesbrough were going to get back in from that point. And when you consider how blunt I thought West Brom looked going forward, it looked a bit stodgy against Leeds. Yes, they're at home, but to score four past Middlesbrough kind of shows. Tell, I think it tells more about Middlesbrough than West Brom at the moment, if I'm being so, so honest. They haven't really replaced Middlesbrough, the players. It's been a really strange summer, hasn't it? Because I think, obviously, I put them to finish second because I thought they were going to try and recruit. Just with a bit more ambition, really. You lose Cameron Archer, you lose Ryan Giles. If you're not going to go and get those players back, which, in fairness, they did try for Giles. I thought they'd still go for proven quality or certainly like exciting loans. I didn't think they'd go down the Sunderland route, which is a perfectly legitimate business model and route, but it's going to take more time. And I certainly don't think Middlesbrough are going to finish in the top two anymore because they haven't got the ready-made players like they did last season. They've gone down a different route that's going to take a bit longer in time. These players might be big successes. They might be flops. We don't know, but I don't think they're good enough to make Middlesbrough a top two team by the end of this season. That's for sure. They have got to sort out the defending in terms of... It's just not a strategy to say we're going to score more than you because 
there's like teams that you can be expansive and you can be attack minded and you can try and play a certain philosophy that means you're going to take risks in possession. That's fine. But you've got to be better and have a certain level of competency when you are trying to defend because Middlesbrough didn't have that on um, Saturday. And as bad as the back pass is, the worst goal for me was the swift one because it was so easy for him to drift inside and fire into the top corner. I've sort of defended Middlesbrough over the last two weeks and the performances because I felt like they missed big chances at key points in the game against Coventry. I felt like they created enough quality chances against Huddersfield as well. So for me, it was sort of, I was more expecting Middlesbrough to get a win and, and get going and improve. But if you're going to ship the goals in the manner that they have, you are going to be undermining yourself throughout the season and that has got to improve. And unfortunately, that is not something that's just down to this season. They have defended equally as poor on probably not quite to, as badly as they have at the start of the season, but they didn't defend well at major points last season either. So I'm a lot more concerned about Middlesbrough after this game than I was after the last two, because I still thought they would come the right side of it. I thought they were being a bit unlucky with the finishing and missing big chances at key points in games against West Brom, really, really poor defensively to the point where, no amount of poor luck in front of goal. You're never going to get enough goals and win games if you're going to concede goals in the manner they did. Definitely. I mean, go back to our 1-24s. to You you were stunned, weren't you, when I left them out of the top six? I've admittedly only just outside the top six. I had them in seventh. I did anticipate a bit of a drop after the, after the low knees that they lost. I'm quite happy I, to say they'll be closer to seventh than second. I didn't. I didn't envision this. And yeah, I fully appreciate that they've gone out and they've brought in quite a few new bodies. It needs time to gel together. It needs time. The players need time to adapt to not only the league, but their new teammates, Michael Carrick's style, what he wants. They've obviously lost big players in terms of Archer, Akpom, Giles, Ramsey. They've lost key figures there throughout the team. Even Zach Steffen, the goalkeeper, though he had his moments, you've still lost a key figure within the spine of the team. At West Brom at the weekend, they looked defensively an absolute car crash. Let's be honest. They looked really, really poor. And I think you've nailed a good point with the recruitment there. It's It has been a little bit underwhelming. I think for what Middlesbrough, for how they ended last season, they didn't the respect to go into this season as one of the big hitters in the division, promotion favourites. Michael Carrick, sort of a big name in the, from the Premier League era. Obviously, got contacts at a lot of clubs, certainly the likes of Manchester United, Tottenham from his days there. But the recruitment's not really gone down that route. Like Whereas last season, they brought in young, exciting talent on loan. This season, they've attempted to find one or two hidden gems from overseas. They've obviously gone for an experienced head in Senny Dieng in goal, which is fair enough. You need an experienced goalkeeper in this division. But when you think of like... And I don't mean this with any disrespect to the individuals. It's like Morgan Rogers, when he was on loan at Blackpool last season, would you have anticipated him getting a move this summer to a team that's expected to fight for promotion? Probably not. I just think for Middlesbrough, it's going to take a little bit of time to adapt. But I think after the success of last season, how close they were to achieving something really special, Michael Carrick, potentially, he could be the victim of his own success. And he went in there last, last October and immediately transformed their fortunes. And that manager bounce just carried on and carried on and carried on. And this time you thought he's had a full pre-season to, to work with his squad. They're going to be that little bit stronger, a little bit wiser. And they started the season so poor. And they're leaking goals. The defending, like you said, for the third at West Brom on Saturday, was, it was a nightmare. It was absolutely atrocious. They shipped three at Coventry. And when you look at their home games as well, Millwall, they've had an indifferent start. Huddersfield have obviously had a really poor start. They've not beaten anybody. This is the thing. Middlesbrough here, they've got QPR in their next game at home on, on Saturday. That is already five games in a must-win game, I think. If you, as Middlesbrough, a team beaten in the playoff semi-finals last season, go into the first international break of the season, <laughs> excuse me, having not won a game, fans are going to ask questions. There's a few days left of the window, as we've mentioned. For me, they, they've still got quite a bit of work to do. They've got key figures in the attack to replace in terms of Akpom and Archer. Latte Lath, obviously, has got his first goal. That's that's hopefully a step in the right direction. He's up and running. But I think they need more. They've lost such key influential figures within that team. I haven't got the numbers to hand in terms of how many goal contributions they all contributed to between them. But it was it was a hell of a lot, as we know, Akpom on his own 
28 goals, I think it was. Ryan in Giles in that as well. Yeah, and obviously Cameron Archery's numbers, I think, went under the radar, to be fair. They were so impressive. Say he only came in in January. So there's a lot of key figures they've had to replace. I do fully appreciate that. At the same time, however, they've they've lost three of their first four. They look shambolic defensively. And I think Michael Carrick, realistically, he, in a way, he may be longing for this international break to get on the training ground, try and slowly embed these new players into his squad, get them used to each other, and let's see how they go from there. But I think already it's absolutely vital they get three points against QPR on Saturday to go into the international break with at least one win on the board. Failure to beat QPR at home, that way three home games, say, without a win. That That's quite concerning for a Borough side that, let's not forget, were so good at the Riverside last season. They were excellent. But as for Saturday's game, isolating that, that they, they deservedly got nothing from that game. West Brom are far superior, who I must say, at home, they're a, they're a force for anybody. Carlos Corbrand's really transformed the Hawthorns into a place that West Brom feel a sense of security that they're likely to win. I think it's just two league defeats there since he took over last year. So I think for West Brom, they'll be quite content with the start they've made. It's seven points from out of 12. It's, it's well, Sarimento looked bright, didn't he, when he came He did. Scored the really goal. Ni- nice finish as well. And I think, like I say, seven points out of 12. It's a, it's a steady start. It's respectable. It's solid. Obviously, a tough away game at Leeds as well, thrown in there. Got a point from that. Three unbeaten, not lost since losing to Blackburn on the opening day. So, I think Carlos Corbran could be quite content with the start they've made to the season. And I think for West Brom, it'll just be a case of, can if finances permit, we get a couple more bodies through the door before the end of the window. And let's see what happens from there. Absolutely. We've got a four 2-1 victories to go through now. And uh, we'll start with Preston North End 2 Swansea City won. Uh, Preston's best start, George, to a season since 2007 with 10 points from a possible 12. And they came from behind in this one to get that victory. Um, Ashby with a back post strike, his first since joining on loan from Newcastle at right wing back. And at half time, you sat, right, OK, Preston, you've made a good start to the season. This is the, probably the biggest challenge you've had in terms of you 1-0 down at home. Can you change the game? Have you got the game changers? Have you got the tactical nous, Ryan Lowe? to get yourself back in this game? And the emphatic answer was yes. Really, really nice goal for the equaliser. Good cross from deep. Andrew Hughes had trotted his way forward. Lovely flick header into the far corner. But it was the tactical shift midway through the second half that made the big difference. Obviously, Preston have been pretty renowned for playing 3-5-2, 3-4-3 under Ryan Lowe. They switched to a 4-3-3. Frocker Jensen went to the left-hand side. And he wasn't in the game that much, but he produced a brilliant moment of quality where he skips past his man, fires the cross, left-footed across the goal, and there's Dwayne Holmes on the opposite flank to finish. And the shift to 4-3-3 really made the difference. It gave them control against um, against Swansea's 3-5-2. And I thought you've got to give big credit to Ryan Lowe for that because the way that he's, he managed to change the game, you know, Preston are quite a rigid team I think in terms of you don't see them veer away from the back three system very often at all so to do that mid-game is not something that I would especially say Lowe does very often or credit with him with too much tactical uh, uh, ingenuity like that so really impressive for him to be able to do that and for Preston to get the victory and come from behind Frocky Jensen looks like a fantastic pickup he already looks like someone that's value will be two three times the amount if they get any interest next summer, etc., if he continues in the vein he is, I think he could score double figures for Preston. And for a team that doesn't have a lot of goals in them and certainly is always needing more goals, always needing a striker, having a midfielder like Alan Brown did a couple of years ago, like Daniel Johnson did a few years ago, that can get double figures, I think Rocky Henson can be that person who can get 15 goal, assist, goal contributions, goals and assists. And he's been a really clever pickup. Um, already in in what in four games that we've seen, I've, I've been impressed from what I've seen from him. Big win this for Preston. On to ten points from a possible twelve. Great start to the season. Really impressive start for Preston, to be fair. And I think you've hit the nail on the head with your assessment of Ryan Lowe because there there was a period, wasn't the last season, where Preston fans were going quite quite restless. You ruffled a few feathers with some comments. Yeah, you know, now, I was the, I was the yeah. one calling for Yeah, you you were you'd got Ryan Lowe's corner to be fair and. They did, let's be honest, they did end last season quite well, didn't they? They knocked on the door of the playoffs. They gave it a little go. We never never really fancied, never fully expected to creep in, but they certainly gave it a, a, gave it a good go. But I think this season is the fact that, I think for Preston is, 
they've if you look at their fixtures on paper, they've not had the most difficult start, and I don't mean that with any disrespect to the opponents they faced. But I think there's always a, a sense where you've got teams that you're playing that haven't got huge, huge high expectations, where you've got the ability to come a little bit unstuck and you don't take points off them. And Preston have done that. And similarly to Leicester, in a way, obviously, ambitions and squads are very, very different. But they're, they're just finding a way to win, aren't they? All three of their wins have been by one goal margin so far. They've only kept one clean sheet in those four games. So they're, they're not keeping clean sheets for fun like they did at the start of last year, but they're finding a way to win and that's exactly what you need. And I think for Ryan Lowe, like you said, he's he's found that little bit of tactical nous to change things at key junctures in games now, which wasn't necessarily there. And I think it's easy to forget with Ryan Lowe, obviously. He's been, seems like he's been around forever, but in terms of a manager, his managerial career is still fairly young, really. He's only 44. It is quite young for a manager these days. So... I think he's getting better as a manager and he's working hand in hand with Preston because their recruitment over the summer, I think in a way was quite smart. And the, like you said, the addition of Frocco Jensen, I said at the time when we did our 1-24s, to when we did a bit of a roundup on all the teams' signings and things like that, I said, it's kind of got shades of what Millwall did last summer with Zian Fleming. An, un, uh, an unknown number 10 from overseas, got the potential to be a bit of a gem, bit of a find. And I think already indications are there. He's got three goal contributions in his first four league games, a goal and a couple of assists. And I think when you look at him, he's oozing confidence early doors. He seems to be relishing the challenge of being Preston's architect-in-chief, being that playmaker, being that creator who's going to get them out of tight spaces and make things happen. And like you said, there could be potential there for Preston maybe one, two years down the line to make a make a profit on him if, if he continues his form and other clubs eventually come calling for him. It's only 24, so it's quite possible that could happen. But I think the elephant in the room with Preston, as we all know, is that they still need that elusive number nine. Yes, they've brought in Will Keane. I don't necessarily think he's in the man to get them 15, 20 goals this season. He's got a couple so far. But I still think they need that big name. Not necessarily a big, big name, but sort of that that elite striker that they can get for this level that maybe through a loan signing... Like like a Tom Cannon maybe last year. Who knows? He's he's still at Everton with, you know, a few days of the window left. Could there be a bit of a homecoming for him? We shall see. I'm sure he's likely to move, but the the list of suitors is quite lengthy. But I think overall for Preston, if you'd have offered any Preston fan at the start of the season ten points from the first four, they just snap your hand off in a heartbeat. I think any fan of any Championship club would. And when you when you actually look at it and just say. The only team that has got more points than Preston so far is Leicester. It's not a bad situation to be in early doors, is it? I think the end of the window will be quite telling for Preston because they do, for me, need a little bit more depth in some areas, certainly up front. There's still obviously talk of, do they need that replacement left wing back? Kean Best has done really, really well, but do they need someone else personally? I think they do. And obviously Calvin Ramsey's been ruled out for a little while longer. Could they look to get another right wing back in before the bell? So I think for Preston, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But Ryan Lowe, the tactical nous is improving. Preston are improving and they're finding a way to get the job done. And I think to have come from behind on Saturday, that's a really important trait to have, that you've got that ability to turn a game on its head. And I suppose we should quickly touch on Swansea as well. I think obviously it's been a poor few days for them, losing their star manager, Joel Pirot. Obviously, beaten in this one, I've been taking the lead and still searching for that first league win under Michael Duff. But it was always going to be a process, as it was for a few other clubs with new managers this summer. So I think things will begin to improve for Swansea. But I think the biggest challenge for them is now replacing Joel Perot. That is a huge void to have to fill. And whether they'll reinvest some of the money that they've recouped from his sale, who knows, we shall see. But they certainly need to get a new striker in before the bell, which I'm sure they're actively searching to try and do. Absolutely, you're totally right. They've got to get a replacement in because that's obviously a huge loss with the amount of goals he's scored for them over the past two seasons. Cardiff City beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-1, George. Um, Sheffield Wednesday is still pointless. They're the only team in the English Football League without a point from their first four games. Cardiff, good victory for them. Not won many at home in recent years, certainly in the last couple of seasons, the home record at the Cardiff City Stadium has been really poor. Took the lead through Ugbo. Scrappy goal. Wednesday not tight enough defensively. Good finish from Ugbo. Has had a good start to the season. Thought they got themselves a point with a screamer from Barry Bannon curled into the top corner. But 
very strange incident where Will Volks tries to, I'm not even sure what he's really trying to do, put a cross out of play that's pretty harmless. It Does it flick off his shoulder? Is it his hand? And from the angle, I don't think anyone can absolutely cast iron say that hit his hand or that hit his shoulder because the angles that I've seen and that have been available are not great angles. So I'm inclined to just go with the referee if I'm being completely honest because he's closer than I am, obviously, hundreds of miles away. Wintel scores, 98th minute, Wednesday lose 2-1. Good win for Cardiff. They'll be really pleased because they obviously, you think your first two home games of the season are QPR at home, Sheffield Wednesday at home. Two teams are expected to be down there and struggling. You want to win those games. So having lost to QPR, probably feeling like you should have got a lot more out of the Leeds game and the Leicester game where you've took one point from two very tough away games, but played actually really well and probably should have took I think a point was fair against Leeds. They did well in the second half, but they definitely deserve something against Leicester. So it was important for Cardiff to get those three points against Sheffield Wednesday. But for the Owls, as I say, they are rock bottom. The only team not to have taken a point. And there was a lot of discontent in the away end. Clips going viral. A chance saying, De Ponchan Zirigao of our club, the Sheffield Wednesday chairman. And it's just really sad how in three months, so much anger and apathy has seeped into the fan base after euphoria of getting promoted at Wembley. The ticket prices are horrendous. The football being served up is really poor. It's a mismatch of a squad. The person that got them promoted is no longer at the club and left in a cloud. I don't... In my heart of hearts, I don't really think Cisco Munoz is good enough to keep this group of Sheffield Wednesday players up. But by the same token, I can't judge him fairly because of the absolute shambles of a hand that he's been dealt because he, he hasn't been given a fair hand in terms of the squad, how he's come into the club, the tr- the lateness of the business. He's still doing pre-season effectively and they're losing games. I still don't think he's better equipped to get keep them in the division than Darren Moore was. So, Sheffield Wednesday, it's an absolute shambles at the minute and it's going toxic quite quickly. It's hard to see where the next points are coming from. That said, we're only four games in. They could have quite easily left with a point here had it not been for a you know a poor decision from Will Volks. They could have left with a point. But I just don't see a, a discernible style of play. And that's okay after four games if I could understand what they were trying to do, but it wasn't happening. But I'm just really concerned about Sheffield Wednesday. I don't see where the next point's particularly coming from. I don't see enough quality individually or in the dugout that's going to elevate the clear deficiencies at boardroom level. Shall we start with the positive? Let's talk Cardiff first. Really important victory for them. However they found it, I think it was important for them that they got that that first win on the board, particularly at home. It was, believe it or not, it was only their third championship home win this calendar year. It was their their first home win in the league since the 4th of March when they beat Bristol City in the seven-side derby. So a really big weight off the shoulders of both the players and the new manager, Errol Bullitt, who will have wanted to get that first one on the board. Because I think for Cardiff, they were obviously very unlucky at Leeds. They had moments against QPR, though their away performance was very good on the day. And to be fair, they were very, very close to getting a creditable point at Leicester last weekend. So I think performances have certainly merited a victory at some point within those first four games. So they'll be hoping to build on that now. As for Sheffield Wednesday, however, the, the situation is just really, really bleak. And it is, you, you've used the right word, it is sad. I think after the way Wednesday got promoted last season with the the, the miracle that they produced against Peter in that second leg of the playoffs. Then they went to Wembley, beat Barnsley. Again, with in, in more dramatic circumstances, with Josh Windass scoring that 123rd minute winner. The fans had never been closer to the club in years. There was a great team spirit. There was a bond between squad and fans. Darren Moore had got the respect, I would say, of 99.9% of the fan base at that point after the way. And that, like I've always said, any manager that can overcome a four-goal deficit is a damn good manager. And I've maintained that because what he must have said on the training ground that week to inspire those players, to give them the belief and the energy that they could overcome that deficit must have been absolutely unbelievable. And, and as you know full well, Elliot, we, we are both Wednesday fans. We, we're, we're open about that. They are our club. 
you know how annoyed I was when Darren left. I was gutted about it. But I think for Wednesday, you've hit the nail on the head. The squad is a mismatch of styles. The recruitment this summer has been a very much a scattergun approach. There's been some decent-ish looking signings on paper, but not one of them has yet to prove anything on the pitch. And admittedly, we're five games into the season when you count league and cup. Wednesday are having to completely adapt to a new manager. Ten new signings so far. Highly likely there's going to be a flurry more before the window shuts on Friday. But Jisco Munoz, as much as he is trying to change things and try and do things as quickly as he can, he is, like you say, having to undertake a pre-season programme. Now the season has started in effect. He arrived late, about three or four weeks before the season started. But at the same time, he's constantly tinkering with the team. For me, I think he's changed too much too soon. I think the fact that obviously Marvin Johnson's been frozen out completely, was one of Wednesday's best players last season, provided I think it was 14, 15 assists from that left-hand side. Reese James, though he got on the pitch in the latter stages at Cardiff, he's been tossed by the wayside pretty much, not really given a look in. Lee Gregory played in a midfield role at the weekend. He's an out-and-out number nine, a goal poacher. They've changed systems. He went to a back three at the weekend, bearing in mind that Wednesday have built this summer so far to play with wingers, with Masaba coming in, Gasama from PSG, the young lad that's come as well. There just doesn't seem to be any sort of harmony in terms of what Munoz is trying to do. And it's almost like, has he admitted defeat in what he's trying to do? He went obviously went started the season with a, with a flat back four. Then he went to a three at Cardiff. And to be honest, the performance on Saturday at Cardiff in stages, it was better than what had been served up in the first three games. Wednesday at times did look the better side. Defensively, at key moments, however, it cost them. Going forward, though they didn't really give Anik a lot to think about, they did look more penetrative. They did look a little bit more sort of as basically as they knew what they were doing. Obviously, Bannon's goal was a beauty. Windass went close with a header. But I just think Chisco Munoz, though, like you've alluded to quite rightly, he's been dealt a bad hand from above. I just think he's trying to change too much too soon. I think that is the case where you've come in. Yes, any manager, of course, wants to put their own stamp on things. Any manager would do it. It's only fair. It's their job. But I just think after you've taken over a team, though, of course, they were in a lower division, an easier division, I think you've come in and you've ripped apart, though the chairman's got to take most of the blame for this, you've ripped, you've ripped apart a squad harmony that I think needed, it needed new faces, it needed freshening up, there's no doubt about that, it needed injections of youth, but I think key personnel like Marvin Johnson has just been absolutely axed from the squad. Michael Ahequa has played a key part in Wednesday's achievements last season. Yes, he made a mistake at Hull, but I think he's I think he's better than some of what have been brought in so far this summer, to be fair. I've got no issue with Michael Heckwa not playing. Well, I'm, I'm going to disagree on that. More stranger, I... Why has Michael Smith not been playing? Well, he started, didn't he, on Saturday at Cardiff. He started that one. But Lee Gregory midfield, Callum Patterson's playing between right back, right midfield. There just seems to be a complete mismatch across the pitch. They're just constant chopping and changing with the back line. But I will say one thing that did go right on Saturday, and I'm not just saying it because he scored. Barry Bannon played in a deeper role, dictated the game, and he looked much, much better and back like his old self in that position. But obviously the biggest issue Wednesday have got now is the discontent towards the owner, Dave Ponchanceri. And you can understand the frustrations of the supporters. They were confident that Darren Moore was, I personally think he was building something at Wednesday, a long-term vision where they'd got a proper football man in place who understood the club. He understood the city. You could relate to him. He related to the fans. He was genuinely proud of his job, proud of what he did. And that has just been ripped apart in a matter of weeks. That I cannot recall a mood of one football club changing in such a short space of time. And it's really, really sad to say it, but I don't know where Sheffield Wednesday's first point this season comes from. They've got Leeds away next. That looks like a, a home banker on paper. It really does. Then they've got Ipswich at home. Then they've got Middlesbrough. So, you know, where's the first point for Wednesday going to come from? It's really challenging. But obviously, we've heard at Cardiff on Saturday, the first chance towards owner Dave Bonchanceri. And you wouldn't bet against there being more in the coming weeks because fan frustrations are seriously mounting. Ticket prices don't reflect the recruitment at all. They're, they're setting the highest match day price in the division. I mean, for instance, the Ipswich Town game coming up on the 16th of September, if you want to sit in the South Stand, it's £51 for a non-member. 
you, you can go and watch Manchester City in the Champions League for less than that. The the ticket prices do not reflect the football and show, the signings being made. And, you know, it's the fans that are suffering. And like I say, I can't believe the the mood around a football club has changed so quickly. And it is mostly as a result of one man's actions. Moving on, Birmingham City, they're in a much better place. Uh, they know all about bad owners, but they've got a good one now, seemingly. They beat, they beat Plymouth Argyle 2-1 at St Andrews and a great story with a last minute winner all about Jay Stanfield this who signed on loan from Fulham having signed a new contract had a good loan with Exeter City last year it's a little bit different to their other forward options you've obviously got Scott Hogan who's very good at running in behind a bit more of a poacher you've got Lukas Jukovic who's obviously the big man the, the towering header um, the older statesman of the group. And now you've got Jay Stanfield as well. And it's a lovely little flick, which I think can go under the radar a little bit, round the defender and an emphatic finish into the back of the net to win it. Scott Hogan had scored in this game. His first goal since February, which had gone under under my radar a little bit. I'd not realised um, that. I know, exactly. I thought the same. Ryan Hardy levelled the game after Morgan Whitaker's shot was well saved by John Ruddy, but he poached the rebound. He's had a good start to life in the second tier with three goals already. And then, as I say, it was set up the script for Jay Stanfield. Obviously, there's a lot of emotion around Jay Stanfield as well in the way that his dad passed away. Ex-City legend, he took the, his number nine shirt last season. That got a lot of good publicity, a lot of good press. So I think there's a lot of people that want to see him do well. And he's got off to the perfect start at Birmingham City, who we, we, we always felt that another forward could be the icing on the cake. Now, Stanfield's not been... He's not been tried and tested at championship level yet, so it's hard to know whether he is that, whether he's going to raise the ceiling of this team. But he's clearly very highly rated at Fulham. Um, he had a lot of championship suitors, by all accounts. And Birmingham have got him in. He sort of feeds into the ethos and, and matches the types of signings they've tried to sign this summer with Buchanan, Ethan Laird, some of the younger lads. So I definitely think with a manager like... Uh, John Eustace, he's someone who could, could get a tune out of him and maybe he could be that icing on the clay that could take Birmingham from a team challenging for the top half to the top 10. We'll see. Quite possibly. I mean, I think a prime example is earlier this year, isn't it? Tom Cannon at Preston. Who, who'd heard of him before he went there? He was a complete unknown and he did remarkably well. Jay Stansfield, albeit at League One level at Exeter City, did quite well. And he's obviously earned the right to make the step up and he's made the perfect start. And, and what a goal it was. I mean, you've talked about the flick there, the finish as well. It was it was a thunderous strike and a, what a way to win a game. What a way to mark your debut. But for Birmingham overall, like I said last week, the feel-good factor from the, from the stands is just filtering onto the pitch. There is such a harmony and such a unity there around that football club. And it's it's so good to see. They've had to put up with so much rubbish over the, year, over the years, the Birmingham City fans. And all of a sudden now, they're riding the crest of a wave. The recruitment, we said before the first ball of the season even being kicked, really, really smart, really exciting signings. The likes of Ethan Laird coming in, Sariki Dembele, Tyler Roberts, Lee Buchanan, and Keshi Anderson as well. They, he had a trial period. He's getting he's a lot of love from Birmingham City. He is. He's been superb so far. He really has. And I think the most telling factor about Birmingham and the fact the way things are changing, the recruitment and everything. Jay Stansfield is their first and only loan signing so far. It's remarkable that they've only actually brought one loan in. So they are, I would imagine, going to do that a little bit more before the window shuts. I'm certain they will. Do they go for another striker? Personally, I think they should. I think they do need another one because Jay Stansfield is promising as he is and as exciting as he is. He is only 20 years of age. It is big pressure to put on him to lead the line on his own and sort of say, you're going to be the man that's going to get us 20 goals. He may be capable of it. I hope he is. But I personally think they do need another one just to strengthen things up. We know it's a long season. And obviously, injuries are going to creep in at some point. Scott Hogan, Lucas Jukovic in the background. They're not the youngest. They're likely Robert's to get well, they're like, yeah, yeah, he can play number nine, I suppose. More of a 10, isn't he, these days? But I think overall, Birmingham, they're pretty much set. I really do think they're nearly set. I think they've built such a good squad with a lot of exciting talent, a lot of players that have got the potential to become high-end championship players. Ethan Laird, particularly, I think he did really well at Swansea a couple of years ago. Showed flashes at QPR last year. Obviously, his loan spell at Bournemouth in the second half of 21-22 was a write-off because of the injuries he had. 
But Birmingham fans, by all accounts, the reports I've read, they absolutely love him already. He's been terrific. And then I think the player that I'm liking the most is Koji Mayoshi. He looks really, really good. He was another one that I said could be a potential find. So I think the recruitment what Birmingham have done has been really smart, really sensible. And like I say, after all the crap that's gone on at that football club for God knows how many years, I'm just pleased for the fans. They deserve it. They've had to put up with so much rubbish off the pitch. And I think the biggest thing for me as well, just lastly on Birmingham, apart from the fact that it's their best start to a league season since 2008, 2009, is the fact that new American owners have come in with obviously big ambitions, but they seem to be taking things slowly and steadily. And I'm just pleased with the fact they've stuck with John Eustace. You see so many big money owners come in, bring their own guy in and get rid of a manager that was there before. They've stuck by John Eustace. He knows the club inside out. It's in his blood. And my word, what a job he's doing. He's repaying the faith. And I mean, 10 points out of 12, what a start they've had. And you never know. Was talk of a playoff at the start of the season premature? Who knows? It might well be within touching distance for them here. Early days, of course, but what we're seeing so far, I think it's quite impressive. Though it must be said on Saturday against Plymouth, they did have to work very hard for that. Plymouth gave a really good account of themselves in the second half. Blackburn Rovers beat Watford 1-0 on Sunday, George, at lunchtime. Second win of the season for Rovers, who undoubtedly deserved more against Hull City in their last game. They probably got away with this one a little bit. It wasn't quite a smash and grab by any means, but I think Watford will feel aggrieved to come away with this without anything to show for it. First half was quite even. Both sides traded blows. Smodix and uh, Mateus Martin testing each goalkeeper, both pulling off good saves. Martin also smashed one in off the crossbar and then did the same off the post later in the game at 1-0. But if I'm honest, I watched this game in its entirety and it it looked like two mid-table teams without quite enough firepower to really be brave enough to hurt the other one. And it looked like it was just going to fizzle out into a draw. I'd say the first half was quite evenly matched. Watford edged it sort of going into the break. But then Watford were quite clearly the better team in the second half. But they always did look vulnerable on the counter-attack. I always felt if Blackburn were going to get a goal or create a big chance, it was going to be in transition. It was going to be on the break. Hedges had looked bright all game down the right-hand side. Um, Leonard and Smodix were linking up quite well in the early stages, albeit Leonard went a little bit quiet as the game progressed. And the goal is just absolutely fantastic. And again, it comes from winning the ball high. A good lung-busting run from Lewis Travis, who didn't have the best game in the world, but... He showed his quality with a great driving run. It's obviously a good tackle. And then the ball breaks to Hedges. If you've not seen this goal, go and check it out on the Championship Chat page at Champ Chat Pod 24 Flicks it over the defender's foot. Two keepy-uppies, one left foot, one right foot. And then from a ridiculous angle, fired in at the near post with pace and power past Daniel Backman. And I've seen a lot of Ryan Hedges. And I didn't think he could kick the ball that hard with his right foot, if I'm being completely honest. He's one of the most one-footed players I've ever seen. But that was a great finish. The goalkeeper should undoubtedly do better. Of course, you'd be disappointed to be beaten at that angle at your near post. But it's it was a game where Watford had the better of it, but there was only one real quality moment of attacking play in the match, and that was from Ryan Hedges, and that was enough to win the game for Blackburn. Really big win, I feel, this one. I didn't see the game, but I've seen the goal, and what a goal it was. It was a moment of individual brilliance, wasn't it? It was superb, and an early contender for, for goal of the season, perhaps. But I think for Blackburn... To have gone to Watford, a ground that they've not done well on in recent years, it must be said, I think they've gone six without a league win there, uh, dating back, I think, to 2002, I think it was. It was, you know, over 20 years ago. So to have gone there and got three points against a Watford side that had not conceded at home prior to today, they'd kept two clean sheets in, in two games at Vicarage Road. And I think for Yondal Thomason, it's further proof that if you can just get him a couple more bodies through the door, he's going to do something with this team because they are getting he's, better. He's they getting the absolute maximum out of this squad. He is. He is. And we saw that last year, didn't we? They obviously missed out on the playoffs in the final day in dramatic circumstances, but the season was far better than anybody anticipated at the beginning of the campaign for a new manager coming in from overseas, uh, a very youthful squad. And it is still a very young squad now, but I think seven points from the first four, it's a really respectable tally, to be fair. The whole game last week, they were obviously up against it for, for most of the game, being a man light. But aside from that, they obviously beat West Brom. And in their first game, and you know, they've gone to Watford today, like I said, not the easiest games to go into, but they found a way to win it. And Watford, obviously, after that first game where they wallop QPR by four, they've not won a game since. So 
for Blackburn, I think it is one of those games where they will have looked at it and thought, you know what, we've got a chance of going here, getting something, getting the win, on to the next one. And that's exactly what they did. So, Yondel Thomason, again, finding a way to get something out of this group. And like you've said, and you know better than anybody, this squad is getting better and better. And he that is a, that is a sort of a nod to him in the way he's developing them and coaching them because they've not had the, the best of summers recruitment-wise, have they? I think it's fair to say. There's obviously the big the big name striker is still missing. So you've got to work with what you've got. And Blackburn so far are doing that. And that is down to coaching. And he is making nearly every single player in that squad better than what they were when he arrived. So a big nod to him. And I think for Blackburn now, it's a case of let's try and end the window as, as strongly as we can. We need that striker, of course. We do. We've been talking about it for weeks. And let's see where they go from here. But I think seven points from the first four games, it's it's pretty respectable. It's a solid start. And let's see where they can go. Can this be the year they do bridge that gap to the top six and get in there? Time will tell. No doubt Blackburn fans will no doubt be thinking of that end of season annual collapse that's going to come about March time. But let's see. Early days, of course. But like I say, seven points from the first four. It's solid. It's respectable. And Yondal Thomason, like you said, he's getting more and more and more out of these players. And then finally, Millwall. Much needed victory for them. Well timed. They beat Stoke City 1-0. A good win for Millwall. I think Alex Neal will be frustrated with this one. It feels like both of these teams are very similar to last year <laughs> already. We've seen uh, Stoke win both their home games and lose both their away games. That wasn't necessarily <laughs> the um, the pattern last year, but it was the one step forward, two steps back. We're only four games in, but I already feel a little bit Groundhog Day with both these teams where you think you've got a gauge of them and they either win or lose as a setback. There wasn't a lot in this game. Nisbet, with his first goal, having signed in the summer with a nice calm finish into the bottom corner. But both teams have been lacking consistency, particularly away from home for Stoke and equally Millwall. Um, obviously, they won on the opening day at Middlesbrough, but then lost a couple and then they beat in Stoke. I don't really know what to make of Millwall and Stoke at this moment in time because there's not been much consistency. And particularly with Stoke, that's obviously been a theme over the last few years. A lot of new signs at Stoke, Stoke to bed in. But I don't I don't think this really tells us anything, if I'm being honest, this result. I, I, I've put it bottom probably of the running order for a reason, because it doesn't feel like it tells us a great deal about either of these two teams. Yeah, I think for, for Millwall, obviously, after what happened at Norwich last weekend and the discontent that was, was chanted about of Gary Rowett, I think Millwall had to hook up by Crook, win this game and... Reading the comments from the Millwall fans, the performance was a lot, lot better. And they desperately had to win that game. Obviously, they lost their opening home game to Bristol City a couple of weeks ago. I think for Stoke, however, it's that old problem, isn't it? It's consistency. We, we've seen it time and time and time again with them in the last 12 months or so, where they just cannot find a settled rhythm. At the same time, however, I think with the amount of new signings that have come in and obviously... We've spoken about other clubs, Sheffield Wednesday being one with a lot of new players and you need to give it time to gel. I think for Alex Neal, I think the fact that he's got six points out of 12, it's it's a decent-ish start, isn't it? They've won both of their home games, but it's the away form, isn't it, for Stoke? That is the that is the problem. And I don't see the way how Alex Neal can not find a solution to it because he is a really good manager at this level. The players they've brought in are quite promising. I think Stoke's recruitment has been really, really good this summer, to be fair. And Vidigal's been a statement signed. They brought a couple more in during the week from overseas. And I just think Stoke have got the the basis there to build something and build their way back up. Because I look at their next, next two games, for instance. They've got unbeaten Preston at home on Saturday. And then their first game after the international break is unbeaten Norwich away from home. I would not be at all surprised if Stoke beat Preston and then lose at Norwich. It's kind of one step forward, one step back every time. So the the biggest challenge for Stoke, and I said it time and time again last year, is consistency. I think the players are there. I think the signings have been quite smart overall. I think they've brought in some good, potentially hidden gems as well. And Alex Neal, he's a good manager. I do rate him. Did an excellent job at Preston in the years he was there. Obviously got Sunderland out of League One at the first time of asking, having a really good impact midway through the season. And then obviously... Jumped ship and came to Stoke last last uh, last August, so I do think there is potential for Stoke to make strides under him. But the biggest challenge for them is consistency. Got a really mixed batch of fixtures coming up though after the international break. They've got the likes of Norwich, Huddersfield, um, then they've got Leicester in there. So they've got a real good mix, which is going to provide some different tests. So we'll see where they are. 
But as for Saturday's game, a hugely important win for Millwall and one that they needed. And again, despite the defeats to Bristol City and Norwich, they have still managed to amass six points in their first two games, which is reasonably solid, I would say. So, yeah, a bit of a bit of a low-key game across the weekend, but not really a result that probably came as too much a surprise as slender Millwall home win. No, you're absolutely right with that. There was two draws as well in the Championship. Friday night, Hull City won. Bristol City won. Uh, Osan Tufan carrying on his good goal-scoring vein of form this season, putting the Tigers ahead. Really nice cross from Liam Delap, who's had a good start as well with a couple of goals and um, some goal contributions, which has got his confidence up and going. And we've always felt that Delap, you know, he had a difficult first season on loan, both with Stoke and with Preston North End. But we felt that Liam Rossini might be the right man to get those raw attributes that we saw finesse them a little bit and get him playing more consistently. Good cross, finish from Tufan. But Bristol City got themselves a point, still lacking a bit of creativity. I think they're still reeling a little bit from Alex Scott and not quite got that same zip in midfield at the minute with a with, uh, bit of tinkering going on with the system and with personnel from Nigel Pearson. But Narky Wells with a nice finish at the back post to make it one all, And then Coventry nil, Sunderland nil. Not a great deal in this game. I thought Casey Palmer looked really bright from the highlights and from what I saw. And again, he's a bit of a mercurial talent that we'll see a performance like this and get excited and then we'll not see anything for another month. So that's the big challenge for him to get some consistency. Um, Hadji Wright probably missed the best chance of the game in this one. And still not a lot coming out of Ellis Sims, which might be a little bit of a slight concern for Coventry fans. Sunderland, big week in the window for them. Got to get a striker in through the door. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed where you can get or which you can find in all your usual platforms and make sure you follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. Huge thanks to our sponsors, Cars Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. Make sure you go and check them out. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.